Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's another All-22 Spectacular. We're looking back at the tape of Dolphins and Giants. I'll break down the three biggest plays from the game, give you my top five individual tapes, tell you about how I saw better connectivity on the back end, and run down the entire list of performances here, plus head coach Mike McDaniel weighs in from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. We've got some injury updates from head coach Mike McDaniel in his Monday afternoon press conference, almost said Monday morning. Go ahead and check that out on YouTube. But he basically said that the timeline for Devon Achan, who suffered a knee injury in the game, is unknown. They are evaluating that right now, as well as Jeff Wilson's availability in terms of the return from the IR and the 21-day designation window. Also uh, got updates that Rob Jones and Nick Needham are progressing nicely and that Isaiah Wynn should be fine going forward. He, of course, returned to the ballgame, as did Devon Achan. As far as how the game breakdown went, well, I have just consumed the tape and I want to go ahead and spit out some facts for you guys over the next 40 minutes or so here on the podcast. We start with the big play breakdowns and we go with Devon Achan's 76-yard touchdown run in the second quarter. And in order of things that had to happen for this play to work, which whenever you get a long touchdown play, you typically have 11 guys executing their job really well. And the order of how these things went was like this. Isaiah Wynn gets an immediate seal on the play side two technique, which is the head up over him, the guy, the head up over the left guard. Uh, Smythe has a one-on-one off the edge against a five technique who happens to be Kayvon Thibodeau. And he widens him, gets space and and really generates movement there. Smythe's had a nice year, man. He's really found his niche in this offense. Uh, Robert Hunt reaches and seals a two technique, which again, lined up head up up over him and has to get on the inside shoulder. He does that very, very well. Uh, Connor Williams climbs up to the Mike linebacker and wipes him out. Kendall Lamb climbs the second level and he races another linebacker. Then you get Cedric Wilson sealing off the cornerback. Then there's a safety who has about 10 yards of depth and is at the numbers with Devon A. Chain at the same time that he's on the numbers. So what is that? 13 yards of width from the numbers to the sideline and 10 yards of depth? (laughs) Devon wins that and he races the corner pretty easily. Good night. Show him your taillights. Long touchdown run. How about a 64-yard screen pass to Tyreek Hill with 341 to play in the second quarter on first and 15? When he catches the ball, and this is the impact that Tyreek has just by being on the field, right? Number 10's out there. You have two safeties are both 20 yards off the football. Then the second level of the defense is at five yards of depth. So you have all this space for Tyreek to operate inside of. And go back to the game preview podcast. What was one of our keys in the game? Find the playmakers in space because the Giants give you lots of it and they don't tackle very well. Well, That played out on this rep because you get tons of overplay, tons of overflow, and you wind up getting Smythe and Berrios getting key seals off the edge on the part of the where the screen was thrown to and then Austin Jackson climbs out there and he races the Sam linebacker what a tape for Austin Jackson once again Robert Hunt was also out there to help in the cause and it gives Tyreek this window and the flow of the defense over pursues going over the top and that's pretty much the only way you can stop that rail slash like hookup slash slide route the bread and butter of our offense we usually go to which hasn't been as utilized in the last couple of weeks 
maybe that's a good thing here as we kind of find more deviations of that offense. But Tyreek winds back across the flow, and it's just out the gate from there. Surprised he got caught, but he did. But Austin Jackson and the design and Tyreek's presence help make that play happen. Then you get a 69-yard nice touchdown pass from two of the Tyreek at the beginning of the third quarter, 14 and a half minutes left to play on a third and four play. And the Giants, like, so this is a blown coverage, and it's nice to take advantage of defenses blowing coverages because it's going to happen, and the Dolphins are one of the best in the league at capitalizing when the defense messes up. And so they're pretty discombobulated pre-snap, and they come out without a corner over Tyreek. He's all by himself, and he kind of waves at Tua like, hi, Tua, you know, Hi, Patrick. What what does SpongeBob say? I forget the guy's name. But they eventually run a corner over there. The release pulls the jam from the corner, who is a rookie, and it's whiff, whiff, whiff on both hands. Inside hand, outside hand, double hand. We whiff all three times. And at that point, you're not going to catch him. And at that point, you're probably beat five yards into the route. The only hope here is that the safety to that side gets proper depth and walls that thing off because outside release, typically Tyreek's going to run a go route or he's going to come back to the football. Maybe he'll cross face, but usually he takes an inside release there. Just not very frequently he takes an outside release. But I think it's a bust because they wind up having a linebacker clamp on A-chan and that third safety who's part of the equation there, who I kind of thought was robbing the backside crossing route, he really kind of just gets downhill and goes and attacks the running back. And then there's a third safety who's 25, 30 yards off the ball on the wrong hash, who's really just covering grass. Tua sees the release, lets it go in rhythm with Tyreek only 10 yards down the field. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a vertical throw to this guy, to Cheetah, that did less to break his stride. He, he didn't slow up one beat. And that's why I praise the accuracy because folks came at me and told me I was stupid on Twitter for praising the ball being right on the face mask. Well, Tua lets this ball go from his own 23-yard line, and it hits Tyreek on the opposing 39-yard line. And again, I get he's wide open, but a perfect ball that doesn't break the receiver's stride from 36 yards away. I mean, this blows my mind every time we have to talk about it because every time Tua throws a ball that's not like in the tire swing, he gets like hated on for some reason. But I feel like everyone that watches the Dolphins also watches the rest of the NFL and how we haven't cobbed to the fact that quarterbacks very frequently miss these throws blows my mind. But this one was right on the money. Like it doesn't overthrow him, doesn't undershoot him to take away yak. Perfect throw. Big part of the reason why it goes for 69 yards. In pass protection, I thought Connor Williams had a fantastic rep here where he was kind of scanning to the left to see if a potential twist might come off the left side while also holding up the inside post for Rob Hunt to cut off a potential twist from that guy. So Connor Williams' presence in the middle of the Dolphins' offensive line, it makes a whole lot of difference. You also have Austin Jackson shut down his man, Wynn and Lamb double up on Thibodeau to get that taken care of. Top five tapes, did you ever think I would say this? The top tape of the game for me was Austin Jackson. They've harnessed and utilized his athletic ability in a pretty damn cool way. And I theorized this offseason, talked about it right here in the podcast, how his ability to get to the edge faster than most would really accentuate this perimeter running game, which is how you can build in so much of the misdirection, play pass, end around, revert, whatever it might be. And you see it on the first play. Austin literally (laughs) climbs inside to the one technique, which is two gaps over where he lined up. I want you to think about that. Two gaps to the left, chips the one technique, wheels back out from the far hash, gets eight yards down the field, and is at the numbers for a block on a DB that he wipes him out. <laughs> that, like, Alec Engel doing that is impressive at his size and speed athletic profile. An offensive lineman, 
320 pounds doing that, it's absurd. Then in pass protection, I just see a completely different player than what we saw the first three years of his career. There's a third down conversion to Tyreek where he's one-on-one and he gets the initial punch with some effectiveness, but the defender does what you want to do in pass rushing and generates some space between he and Austin. That allows you to use your hands to redirect, to cross face if you have to, but Austin calmly just continues to get depth drops into his anchor and reshoots the hand and perfectly strikes the strike zone and runs him right around the quarterback. Like, like we said, like if I said this, you know, if we can just get replacement level play at right tackle and left guard, we can be pretty good. But this is like plus plus play from 73. 77 has been really good too, but I think 73 has been like, like, I'm not going to say pro bowl good. He's been really good. Maybe if he does it for you know seven more games, we can start talking about that. But he has been fantastic. And I'm just having a really hard time not including Rob Hunt in my top five tapes. It's I had to include these other guys on offense, and I had to include some guys on defense as well. But I just want to acknowledge that Rob Hunt is playing at a Pro Bowl level, elite stuff week in, week out. We'll come back to that here in a second. But Austin Jackson's PFF numbers, 32 pass block snaps, no pressures allowed on the year. That's a 97.5 pass block efficiency, which takes your pressures allowed divided by total pass blocking snaps. Guys, that's 12th among all offensive tackles who have at least 100 pass blocking snaps. Not right tackles out of 32, out of 64 tackles. In fact, there are 65 that have played that many injuries uh, can obviously have an impact on that. The 12th best tackle in terms of pass blocking, and he's probably a top 10 run blocker. <laughs> My goodness, man. Number two tape, Tyreek Hill. I always note this with receivers in this offense originally because we tend to get more plays in the running game early, it seems like, but his competitiveness as a blocker and sealer on crack toss down the field is really, really good. I can also continue to just marvel by the way he sets up his moves, not just with the football to run after the catch, but without it and his route running, the attention that he draws, like double coverage, bracket coverage, safety help, rolling guys over the top, and he still produces at this level, leads the league. There are a lot of guys that have their hat in this ring, but he's my most valuable non-quarterback in football. The speed, the way he alters his landmarks and kind of changes up a certain route on a given play based upon a certain coverage, the effort he exudes, the attention he commands, how he wins when he finally does get the chance where he's not bracketed, a 69-yard touchdown catch, nice. The releases he has inside, outside, all equally impressive. Just an impressive, impressive player. He's, he's heading towards like all-time greatest Dolphin. Like Dan Marino will probably never be topped. Tyreek's coming for that number two spot, man. If he does it for another five years like this, like golly. Uh, 10.06 yards per route ran. Like if you average two in that category, two. If you get two in that category, it's really good. He had 10 in the game. 20 yards per target in the game. If you have eight, that's really good. It's crazy. This is crazy production. Devon Achan's my third top tape. What more can you say about him? The speed obviously garners all the attention, but the way he sees it and hits it is what creates that urgency that I feel like gets defenders flat-footed. Or in the case of his long run, that safety was coming from depth, like, oh, I'm going to make a play right here. But because Devon was so decisive and hit it so fast, he quickly got on his toes, and that wasn't the place to be. He should have been getting more depth to try to cut that angle off and save, you know, a potential 30-yard run and not let it go for 76. But because of how consistent he is of making the correct decision and hitting it with conviction, I think it creates a lot of that urgency that causes bad decisions on the other side. He sets up his block so well and allows his speed to have maximum impact with the decision-making and style of running that he has. I really hope he's okay heading forward here. Uh, Number four is Zach Sealer. 
It's just the length every damn week. I mean, the moment he sees a guy leaning, he throws in a swim, a dip rip, an arm over, and the force that he generates with that shove, like the arm on the back and then get my cleats in the ground and use that lower lower body strength to really generate the momentum, to generate the leverage. He just throws guys on the ground. Like between Christian, Zach, and Rob Hunt, those guys are putting more bodies in the ground than a grave digger does. It's just impressive, the power and strength and the way they play behind their pads every single week. And when it comes to Zach Sealer, like it, it just he's in the backfield over and over in this game. And when him and Wilkins get these quick wins, Gosh, it makes the world of difference for the off-ball backers. That's when Long and Baker are at their best. Additionally, the way that he holds his ground on double teams, I forget the the terminology for this, but there's a term for defensive tackles holding the double team point where they kind of go to the knee and just basically anchor against that look. He does it, but also stays on his feet and allows, you know, holds those guys from getting to the second level. Just over and over, the back-to-back TFL sack reps were absolutely comical. Again, let the bodies hit the floor, man. It's a result of 92's work and his strength that he exhibits every single week. What a game. As my guy Seth Levitt on the Fish Tank podcast says, grown-ass man, the grip strength, the leverage he creates. I can't say enough about Zach Sealer. He is an impressive, impressive football player. He had five pressures in this game, according to PFF, and seven run stops. Run stops are essentially wins for the defense uh, in terms of they didn't gain the requisite yards to consider a, a win for the offense. Seven times Zach made the tackle where the defense got a win. That's a ridiculous number. My five, number five top tape is Christian Wilkins. I just wanted to put these two guys together here because I think they kind of set the table for everybody else to have the performances they had. But my first note was the first step quickness just jumps off the tape. He played this like two technique, two eye, three technique position all game long. And he was just consistently finding ways looping across the guards inside post. And I wonder if teams will adjust to that because, you know, the first four games of the year, we've kind of played those light interior looks where we kind of gave up the A gap on either side. And I thought teams took advantage of that. But the way Christian played with kind of looping inside off of that maybe gives you some more ability to fit that gap and then use linebackers and the B gaps to kind of come, excuse me, to kind of come down and, you know, give you your run fits. Um, But I wonder if teams will adjust to that move because he consistently had so many moves working. The one-hand stab, crossover, and rip through. He was dominant in the twist game, looping across, you know, an underneath pick. He held up against double teams, got wide against the outside runs. Just a vintage Christian Wilkins game. Constant pressure, never gave an inch against the run. And again, these two guys set the table for everybody else in this defense. But Van Ginkle, Chubb, Deshaun, Cater were all in consideration for me on the defense, just like Rob Hunt was on offense. Quite frankly, how Alec Ingold was on the offense, Connor Williams, really a lot of guys were in contention here for uh, top five tapes. His number is Christian Wilkins, seven pressures, three run stops in the game. Fantastic. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and kick off the offensive tape. We also have the defense to get to and snap counts. All that ahead, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We've broken down the big plays. We've talked about the top five tapes. Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, Tyreek Hill, Devon Achan, and Austin Jackson get my top five tapes. Let's go ahead and continue with general offensive notes here first. And I just put down that this is an absolute headache of an offense to deal with. The false keys are positively paralyzing. You motion one way, you've got pullers going out the other direction, reverse options coming back the original way with the football going back the other direction. Are you confused? I am. Where am I? Am I Travis? I think so. And a quarterback who just drills those fine details and uses sleight of hand to put it all together. 
It's a lot to deal with, man. Just the game plan of attacking the edges was a pure thing of beauty. I lost count of how many plays we gave the end man on the line of scrimmage a free run at the quarterback, and they'd take it only to realize, ah, there's a reason I'm free, I'm naked here. And when they would take it, they'd realize quickly the ball had already gone out the back gate seconds earlier. I said it in the preview podcast, this defense is super, super aggressive, and Miami used it against them. Something else I've really been kind of keeping an eye on is the Dolphins' ability to get production from two back sets and not just with Alec Ingold in the game, which obviously is 21 personnel, but two back sets that re- that utilize two running backs, which gives you more speed. And sure enough, head coach Mike McDaniel answered a question on Monday about what you call that grouping. And when they replace the fullback with a running back, it's called Fast 21, at least here for the Miami Dolphins. So I looked into it. Nobody is utilizing two back sets right now like Miami. And again, not just Alec, but the entire, you know, running back complement with any 21 personnel grouping. So it could be Alec, it could be a different running back, but all of them combined. Miami has a 0.22 EPA. That's double the second place team in that category, who is no one else other than the 49ers. And for a little more digestible number with two back personnel that does not include Alec, the fast 21 personnel, they're averaging 10.3 yards per pass. And 11.6 yards per carry. Thanks to Chris Coffin for finding that for us on Twitter. Uh, I think through True Media, I believe. But either way, that's ridiculous. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach on how that personnel grouping has been so productive this season. You know, they're the way they're playing football and um, really taking to various assignments, being able to um, um, multi-train and get get you know some receiver responsibilities from the running backs and some running back responsibilities from the receivers uh, because of their football acumen. Um, you know, it, it does present a problem um, that, you know, there's, there's always some sort of, um, uh, there's, there's some sort of solution um, defensively. And uh, so they have to be, especially if you have a tell. So um, in terms of what you like to do in it. So I think it's a, it's a testament to all those guys commitment to the the whole offense because we're able to run various different types of schemes runs passes dropbacks and um play actions and all, all all sorts of things out of that because um they they like being out on the field together let's go ahead and get to the Tua Tungavailoa portion of the podcast I thought this was his worst game of the season by quite a long shot it kind of reminds me of the Patriots game last year too many mistakes too many head scratching decisions and just not enough big time throws to really I guess negate that, although the 69-yard pass was perfect. But anyway, uh, the first play that caught my eye was the flip to Cedric Wilson on the opening drive, that little motion-to-wheel, like, quick now route. And I feel like this portion of the All-22 gets long because you need descriptors to appreciate the nuance of Tua's game. So just real quick, you guys saw it was early in the game, right? The little, uh, all the edge motion stuff, they were doing all the screens and, you know, flips and end, uh, end around stuff. And then you get Cedric in motion with a quick hitter from Tua, And I want to describe this best I can without having a video element. So Raheem's in the pistol behind Tua. And you have Chosen in a condensed split to the same side we're motioning to. And there's only one corner out there who's covering Chosen. So when uh, Cedric goes wide, he's all alone. And the next closest guy is a safety 15 yards off the ball and a linebacker 5 yards off the ball. But you're already outflanked. But the reason I wanted to talk about this is because Cedric gets 7 yards upfield before the ball hits him right in the face mask. And... Tua 
got the football to him in 1.2 seconds. Here's the things that he had to do in 1.2 seconds to throw the ball to the perimeter seven yards down the field to wedge it between Cedric Wilson's face mask if he didn't have hands. Uh, fake a handoff in a way that flips his feet in the opposite direction he, that he needs for clean mechanics. So, you know, throwing a ball right-handed to your left with your left foot forward. Would that make sense? But as he flips the feet back to proper alignment, the throwing motion in his upper body has already begun. So he's putting these two cogs of the machine together at different varied timings, which wouldn't really necessitate muscle memory. It's just like a freak skill that you would have. And you guys know I love to compare these moments to everyday activities. I would say it's like when you're cooking dinner and you're juggling multiple dishes and courses in a way that has them all come out fresh at the exact same time. It's a craft that you should appreciate, but probably don't. So in 1.2 seconds, all these things occur. Snap the football, fake a handoff, flip the feet 180 degrees, football comes out. And if Cedric just didn't raise his hands, like I said, it would have jammed between the opening and his face mask. Perfect location despite all the chaos of having to flip your entire mechanical operation in 1.2 seconds. Please, please, for the love of God, please appreciate this quarterback while we have him, guys. I implore you, you endured Jay Fiedler and... Brian Greasy and A.J. Feely and Cleo Lemon and John Beck. And I mean, you endured it all to get to this. Quit complaining about it. He's a great player. (laughs) Now, again, I thought it was Tua's worst tape of the season. Pretty high bar when you pass for two touchdowns and 300 yards, right? But here's why. I thought there were several occasions where he threw with anticipation before a defender peeled off where he thought they were and and they got involved in the play. And what this does is it empowers ding-dongs like Steven Ruiz to say that this quarterback only throws predicated based on what he knows from the pre-snap uh, recognition. Like, if you don't know how to count a potato, don't try to evaluate quarterback play because this quarterback doesn't do that. If you, if you watch the tape, you know. But in this game, he did three times. Three times, okay? Really, it's probably been about six times all season. But it began on the play before the first touchdown. The conflict linebacker never sinks in the run action on that pass to Waddle in the back of the end zone. But Tua still fires it back there on the crosser. Gets a hand on it, pass breakup. And we'll see later in the game that hands-on footballs down there can have catastrophic results. Now, when you watch the end zone angle, it does look like Tua tries to settle him away from the flow with a back shoulder ball. So he damn near beat it. But it was a bit of a theme later in the game, throwing into pockets where the defense would peel back into. The next one was the pick six. And I'm just going to go negative here first before I get to the positive. Just try to jam a hookup route that wasn't there. In fact, nothing was there. It was good red zone defense by the Giants. The mic flowed that way. The slot peeled off and jumped it. I mean, it really should have been picked originally, and I wish it would have been because it would have been a touchback and they would have fallen down in the end zone and not ran back 102 yards. But on this play, Tyreek and Waddle are bracketed, and you've got little old Braxton Berrios to the top of the field one-on-one with a, no help at all, just purely a one-on-one matchup. I think he can win those. Let's go to him next time on that. The second INT, Tua is always going to take the blame, but his hand pretty clearly hits Connor Williams' helmet, who was getting bull rushed back into the lap of Tua by Dexter Lawrence. And don't say that this Connor Williams can't play football because of one rep. Don't You guys should know better than that. He had a great game. He had one bad rep, and it cost us a turnover. It happens. Nothing more to it than that. I suppose you get on Tua for not finding a cleaner platform and being careless with the football, but it wasn't some crazy bad decision. So that was bad. Let's go ahead and get back to the good here because literally on the next play after the first bad is a a great touchdown strike. Broken play, Tua gets outside of structure and throws high to a covered man. That's the ticket in the that part of the end zone. Throw it up and away from the coverage, just like the Baltimore game last year for the game winner. Does it again to Waddle for a touchdown. I think my favorite play was the rep right before the HN touchdown. He makes a free runner miss 
out of his own end zone, attacks the line of scrimmage with his eyes up, and that pulls the hook defender down to come prevent a scramble, and Tua just flips it with his feet facing the forward, no mechanical proficiency there, drop the arm angle, slide that thing around him to a vacated area for Tyreek Hill for a first down, not just erasing negative plays, turning them into chain moving plays. And then a real quick analysis on the response drive after the pick. Uh, awesome location on a hookup throw to Braxton Berrios that settles him between two defenders and leads him into a run after the catch, actually. Then capital A anticipation on the glance route to Cedric Wilson. The ball's out before he's even into the break. We see that all the time with River Craycraft. Here it goes to Cedric Wilson. Screen goes for one yard, but maybe his best throw of the day after that is a 12-yard shot to Waddle where the Giants show zone match with too high. Tua hits the back foot, fires with anticipation to Waddle on a glance to the other side, and the defender is right on Waddle's back, but the ball is perfectly located low and away. And then there's some more awesome location in terms of throwing to a spot that it's not traditionally supposed to go to, and that's the in-game processing you see with Tua. It's another glance route, so it should be out in front on the upfield shoulder, right? But the Giants DB drives on it, and so Tua throws it on his back ear hole, and it pivots Cedric out of a collision and into a run after the catch, and he damn near finds the sideline to stop the clock. Pro Football Focus had some stats on Tua's game. Wonder with the Giants blitz Tua a whole bunch? They've been a 40% blitz team this year. They didn't. Just 12.5%. He was 2 for 4 for 20 yards. He also threw two passes of 20-plus air yards, connected on one for 69 and a touchdown. And the intermediate passing game uh, and balls 10-plus yards down the field, 4 for 8, 112 yards and a touchdown. And the red zone INT was his first since 2020. He had thrown 38 straight touchdowns without a red zone pick before that. So pretty rare occurrence there. How about the eligibles? Uh, Jalen Waddle, the quick hit to Tyreek on the first drive. He holds a block for the entirety of the play, does it every single week. The touchdown play is the payoff and more evidence of how awesome this guy is. He peels back with the movement of the quarterback, elevates at the exact right time, high points the football, survives the ground, Six. Great play, Penguin. Do your dance. Then he goes back to being selfless, hits a good natural rub on a mesh route to free up Cheetah for a first down catch on third and four on the next drive. I just thought he caught the football really well. A couple of instances where the ball's off of his frame and like low and away or up high, and he pulled him in. Those are tough catches, and he did it. Uh, let's see. Chris Brooks, I see you, young man. You know, he's running some of that Trent Sherfield lead block motion we saw last year, and he's cleaning clocks doing it. It's impressive. Alec Ingold, don't have any specifics on him, but just continuing to square up blocks and removing bodies from the equation, he is a good football player. Braxton Berrios, I feel like he just does those intangibles that you don't really notice that much, but they add up to winning football. Uh, first play after the pick, he creates one at eight yards and in one motion just pivots upfield and lunges into extra yards for the first down. It's very Wes Welker-like. Continue to be super impressed by Raheem Mostert's power. Teams just are not getting him down on first crack. He had a 21-yard run where he made an unblocked man miss with a nifty move at the point. Uh, like the safety came down and filled and it was one-on-one. Raheem and the safety in the gap. No chance for you there. And then the wiggle on that final third down conversion after the catch. Just love his nose for the marker, whether it's a goal line or the first down sticks. Offensive line, I had Rob Hunt at a pancake counter of three on the Waddle 20-yard screen out in space. Uh, the A-Chan run in the third quarter, and then a Raheem run late in the third quarter. I mean, the number of times he has one-on-one blocks and puts his guy in the ground, he's the grave digger. I think you're hard-pressed to find someone who's done it more than him. He is playing at an elite level. The guards on this team, Isaiah Wynn and Robert Hunt, have been awesome. 
They are number two and number three in NFL in the NFL's uh, pass blocking efficiency metric from Pro Football Focus among all guards, 99.4 and 99.2. They've allowed a combined five QB pressures. It's three for Hunt, two for Win on 375 total pass blocking snaps. Not bad. Kendall Lamb, just a pro of keeping his feet and hands active. He just has different tricks in his bag to get him wins. He consistently works to improve his position and finish his seals that are so imperative to the edges of the running game. The one sack was him giving up the inside post to Thibodeau, which you can't do that, man. Like you had some help there. It looked like maybe he expected more from Isaiah Wynn to help him on that spot, but it was a three-man rush. We gave up a sack. We can't have those guys. So uh, I'm not going to emphatically claim one way or the other whose fault it was, but let's clean that up. Let's go ahead and hear more from Coach McDaniel on how this offensive line plays in space because they were so damn impressive in this game, getting out beyond the numbers and making big blocks. Well, I think um, it's the strain uh, three, four seconds into a play and and those, um, you know, those blocks that are occurring, uh, you know, closer to the numbers or outside the numbers, that's if you if you're a successful um, offense running the ball, that's pretty much a staple. I think it's a, uh, a it's it's a cons- it's consistent with any good running team that um, you're having a hundred percent commitment to uh, uh, executing your assignments and that um, those you know the second you start having success, guys start understanding how important each and every block is, and I think. Um, you know, as we do find success, we're, we're finding more and more plays where guys are um, engaged uh, in the appropriate with the appropriate leverage um, relative to the to the back, and you're seeing a lot of um, a lot of our ball handers make some plays, um, and you're even seeing linemen doing some pretty cool stuff on receiver screens as well. So, um, I think that is um, a picture that if you're wanting to be successful um, in those phases, it will always kind of ha- have those marks and glad that it's showing up now. Did he say ball handers? Just as a whole, eligibles, line, design, all of it, it's so pretty. I want to just give more flowers to Durham, Isaiah, and Connor because I didn't talk about them individually. It's just been a full team execution, and that's really the only way you set records like this group is doing is with 11-on-11 execution. The way the interior three is working together is just perfect. Connor does so much to help the guards 1v1 where he really cuts off a potential inside move, which makes them one-dimensional, which makes it easier for the guards to get their job done. So subtle but so important. Now, ball security needs to be a point of emphasis, but I don't really know how you can complain with this tape. Raheem, a fumble. Achan, a fumble. Two or two bad decisions to put the ball in harm's way. Clean that stuff up, and like, you're going to break the record because you are leaving me on the bone while you're being the best offense of all time. Think about that. Let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk about the defense's best day of the year. That's next Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Dolphins defense does not allow a touchdown in this 31-16 victory. 4-1 and one after our fourth win in five starts this season. And I thought defensively there were some really good examples on this tape of guys getting uh, in shape to do what they do best. And I, I, what I think has been the biggest boon is getting Deshaun Elliott back, or here I should say. His range on the back end has really allowed Javon Holland to play closer to the line of scrimmage. There was a cover three rep on the Giants' second drive where we snuck both Cater and Javon Holland down into the curl flat hook zones. So think about like basically, you know, quasi linebacker roles. 
And with how well both those guys process and tackle, that's a great way to eliminate deep shots while getting some of your best tacklers in position to cut down the checkdowns that teams might have. Also, I know like people will point to opponent, but I thought the connectivity of coverage was so much better in this game. Yes, the Giants have struggled up front, but after a couple of early completions, a lot of Jones runs or incompletions were because that there wasn't anything open down the field. I think that we really missed not having Elliott back there in week four. More on that in a moment, but Coach touched on the defensive effort this week and also when I asked him about how the rush and coverage married up in this game, a detailed explanation of how that worked out in Miami's favor. Oh, they, they're going hand-in-hand hand for sure. There was a lot of um, – it, it was really exciting. I thought, the, uh, I thought the defense had the best week of practice they've had all, uh, all year, and I think it definitely translated. I think the players saw it. Uh, and there was a lot – you know, I think – um, there, there was a quarterback hits were the most since a certain amount of time. That was a while ago. Um, and, you know, I think that's a testament to uh, team defense for sure. You know, you can't um, have one without the other, and you have explosive plays when the coverage isn't tied to the pass rush, even if you're getting home pretty quick. And, uh, you know, the idea of this, uh, of our defense really in general, is that is that we – um, when we're tied together, you know, you you force teams to have to execute at the highest level, or you make them pay um, uh, by being a little too aggressive or um, you know being too conservative. So I thought that that it was there was the most examples of the vision of um, what we want to be as a defense uh, last game, which is what you want to see. PFF tabbed the Finns with 38 total quarterback pressures and 35 run stops in the game. Just outright dominant. Most of the snaps went in the Dolphins' favor. So uh, I do want to get some more numbers to you guys. We'll do that later in the podcast this week, like a Friday numbers recap or something like that. But either way, up front, uh, Bradley Chubb. We talk a lot on the show about unheralded things that guys do. Watch the way Chubb engages and then holds onto guys who want to chip and climb off of him. He just won't allow for it. He consistently beat split flow action, went and got the blockers. Underrated game for Bradley Chubb. He was excellent. Six QB pressures, three run stops. Andrew Van Ginkle was... He was in my top five, but I moved him to the last minute to put both D tackles in there. I just love the way he doesn't wait for the game to come to him. He goes and gets it. He plays the physicality aspect of the game as well as anybody. He resets line of scrimmage, engages chips with a ferocity that allows him to shed them better, like on the play where he went and got Daniel Jones and batted the ball back in his face. Doesn't let their hands get into his chest plate. The other thing that just looks immensely faster this year is the way he gets around the corner. It's I didn't know he had that in his bag. Gosh, he's dipping under that outside arm without having any really breaking or, you know, have to corner inside. He just does it fluidly. And that allows him to maintain acceleration and finish. He's been the best finisher this year as a pass rusher on the team and turning himself into an invaluable part of the defense. He had eight QB pressures and three run stops per pro football focus. Been a pretty positive podcast, right? But early in the game, I was not very thrilled about the work of the two linebackers, David Long in particular. There is a rail seam slide that bread and butter we run, right? And he's getting beat pretty easily in coverage on this rep, but also in general. And it, like the stuff I've liked has shown up when he's just going sideline to sideline. But 
right now I think he's getting the sombrero put on him in coverage because teams are going after him. And you saw Deshaun Elliott kind of barking at him on one play about where the heck you going, bro? I thought two of his traits that, you know, I, I loved in the Tennessee Titans tape popped off that perimeter speed I talked about, but also block deconstruction. He got better as the game went along. A couple of run stuffs and support where he keys it early, goes and whacks the guard, gets off the block and makes the play. So it was good to see some flashes of that. Hopefully it continues here. He had four run stops in the game. In the secondary, generally speaking, I love the way our DBs fit when asked to be the force defender against the running game. So consistently, I think that Chubb, Gink, Ogba, JP, when he's been out there, they dent the edge and create lots of free runs for Javon, Deshaun, Cater, and even Eli in this game. I won't put X in that category. It's just not his game. But those guys have been so good at filling and wrapping and finishing those tackles off the edge. One of the things the Giants had success with was those in-breaking routes off of man, or at least presenting as man coverage. I don't know the mechanics of it, but it looked slow to react at times to drive on those inside throws. X got beat once when he got turned around. Eli gave up a couple as well. But other than that, like Deshaun Elliott, nothing short of an awesome tape once again. I think the rules of the scheme have clicked for him. He's playing traffic cop back there in the way we've seen Javon Holland do in the past. He also frees up Javon in a big way. What I like most about him is he can play his technique, play his rules, but then take himself to an additional play outside of his job. That first run stop he had, he, he comes from depth to wipe out a little slide route they fake it to, but then it's a handoff, so he just works off of that and goes inside and makes a tackle for loss. Cater Kohu, if you're tired of me praising his ability to cut down screen passes, let me say this. It's all part of his processing ability. That's just football, man. This player is doing that at a big-time level. What information can I glean from what they're showing me? Cater peeps the release of his man across from him. He knows it's a block, which means the screen's coming. Let me go get that thing. He does for a big TFL. I thought Apple had really good feel for contact, for when to peel back and get his eyes in the quarterback. On that Van Ginkle pass rejection, the Matumbo, no, 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 no. Eli might have had a pick there if it got off with really good feel playing the original route, staying in phase and kind of continuing the secondary route and staying in that back pocket to get a uh, hand on the football if it would have been coming that way. Did have a great pass breakup on Darren Waller later in the game as well. And then X, speaking of Waller, I thought was one of his best reps of the year, sands the INT in New England, where he squat on the short route, wheeled off the double, and then got his head back and broke up the pass. You can play that way when it's Darren Waller, maybe not when it's you know a Tyreek Hill type, which good thing he's on our team, but a good matchup or good hat off the, to Xavier Howard there for knowing the matchup and what he can get away with. How about snap counts and we'll get out of here? You kind of start to get a feel for what the team thinks they have internally with some of these snap count uh, delineations here. The offensive line went wire to wire, except for Isaiah Wynn missing one snap, which Liam Eikenberg filled in for him there. We saw two ago the distance, obviously. Smythe gave you 44 reps in this game. That's 81% of the workload, so he continues to see a big chunk of the workload there. Waddle was the leading receiver in snaps. He played 44. That was, again, 81% of the snaps. With Tyreek playing just 25 snaps, is that accurate? Dang, I didn't know that. Um, Cedric Wilson played 29 snaps in the game and then at running back you still had you know I know HN got banged up later in the game but Mostert had 32 compared to HN's 26 and then you also had Chris Brooks play seven snaps as that kind of motion jet sweep blocker that was cool to see and then of course I think some of the emergence of both the backs together has cut into Alec Ingold's workload a little bit he played 35% of the snaps uh, Braxton Barrios gave you 37% of the snaps as well so they're just mixing all this stuff in and it goes back to like the question that <laughs> I saw you know some people asking like why do they do all this like mixing and matching in the 
you know, in training camp. It's because, like, they have a lot of different packages they use, and you can see that right here. Uh, Chosen played 10 snaps. Julian Hill played 14 snaps. So a pretty good mix there on offense. Defensively, this always is a little more, you know, kind of, I think, scattered than offense is. But you had actually five guys play the entire game here. Holland, Kohu, Baker, Elliott, and Howard. Common for your safeties and corners but and your middle linebacker there, so that's not like a surprise, but it has been like two or three guys most of the year so far. David Long had his biggest workload of the season, 92% of the snaps this year, and I thought, again, thought he got much more consistent and better as the game went along there. Eli Apple played 90% of the snaps, so lots of nickel there for this defense. Andrew Van Ginkle played over 80% of the snaps. So did Bradley Chubb right next to him with 57 snaps. So those guys, you know, without Jalen Phillips are your top guys, uh, top go-to guys there. And then Ogba played 38% of the snaps. So you kind of see the rotation, how they're thinking there. With those three guys, then once JP gets back, that should be a different mix altogether because I think I would not take JP off the field ever if he is healthy. Inside, Wilkins and Sealer. I was told there might be a little bit of reduction there in workload. Maybe it worked out for those guys because they played uh, 49 and 46 snaps respectively at 68 and 64, which typically those guys have been like 80% snap takers, which is a, a just crazy, absurd high number of snaps for a defensive tackle to take. So those guys get a reduction and it leads to more production. Imagine that. Uh, Raekwon played 30 snaps. That's 42% of the workload. Deshaun Hand played 26, maybe a little bit more of him eating into Raekwon's workload there. And then Bethel played just six snaps, that dime defender, and Cam Good gave you two snaps late in the game. So good stuff there. Uh, Elijah Campbell and Duke Riley both had 21 special teams. Brandon Jones had 19. Cam Smith and Chase Winovich had 14 a pop as well. So Brandon Jones, we'll see if he can get more defensive work going forward. We talked about the game against Buffalo not being his best, but um, you've got options, man. you got reinforcements coming back off of injuries as well. This football team is well, well, well positioned, man. I'm so excited about how this team can, you know, unfold going forward. I am, though, trying to be mindful and present about enjoying what we have right now, which is a 4-1 football team, breaking all kinds of records offensively and, and starting to play some better defense too, hopefully. So that's your podcast. That's your breakdown, about 45 minutes for you guys here. We'll be back on Wednesday with a game preview, taking a look at Dolphins and Panthers. Um, looking forward to watching that tape. Uh, we'll do that on Wednesday. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out my boys, Seth and Juice, on the Fish Tank podcast. Paul Solei, their guest this week. You don't want to miss that. Plus, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina Cameron Daddy. Yeah.